Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. My name is Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader here at Niche. Today you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen on the go. You can find all the resources that are mentioned as well as the original recording on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy. We're going to be touching on the results of the Senior Enrollment Survey for anyone who hasn't seen the survey results, uh, you can use this QR code or the link there to go see the full results. Uh, just a broad overview, high level. Uh, this was the eighth year of doing this survey. Uh, it's of seniors who are enrolling in college. They've made their decision. Uh, they they had to have made a selection as of June 11th. Uh, so this was a May and into early June survey. 23% of respondents were low income, 27% first gen, and 41% identified as underrepresented minority students. Now, these were all optional demographic questions, uh, but still the vast majority of students did answer the demographics, uh, which really helps with some of the segmentation. We'll pull out a few of those here in the future uh, as we as we go along. Each year, I pick a theme for the results for this survey. Uh, this year's theme was reflections after the pandemic. And the reason I did that has to do with two uses of the word reflection. The first being there is a consideration of some sub- subject subject matter or idea. We want to reflect on what happened. We want to reflect on how we're going to respond. Uh, the second being an action of bending or folding back. So when you think of a reflection of light, you see the light wave come in, come back off. It's that same idea we saw with a lot of the data, either trends that had been trending up or down and reflected back towards that pre-pandemic time. So it really fit in there. Uh, we're seeing a number of behaviors returning to the way students used to behave, um, and some are getting a little out of control, and we'll touch on five of those here today. Uh, just five reflections. There's a lot in the full results, uh, but five that I think are probably the most actionable uh, that I really want to hit on here. The first insight I wanted to reflect on is this return to pre-pandemic behaviors at the top of the funnel. And the strange thing we're seeing, however, is that while we're going back to that baseline at the top, the middle of the funnel is becoming bloated and we know the bottom's shrinking. So essentially that funnel is becoming clogged. We're having more and more students uh, applying, being accepted, but we're not necessarily seeing more students enrolling. Uh, As we think about the funnel here, you know, you have your awareness. So maybe prospect or subject or uh, suspect, depending on your terminology there. Uh, as they move down through the funnel, you know, early on, there's this indicated awareness and interest from students, and that's going back to what we're used to. And I just want to emphasize here, it, it just seems to be a mirage. There are not actually more students. They're just showing more interest, applying to more colleges. They're casting a wider net than ever before, which just means that you have more work and more costs for you as the college to work on uh, to help support fewer students coming through. Uh, You may be seeing twice as many accepted students even, and yet still having fewer enrollments. And that's really affecting your budgeting, your forecasting that the leadership needs. You know, we're seeing more and more of these students just kind of casting wide net. They don't know really where they want to go, but they want to have more options. They're concerned about the cost. They're concerned about the fit. And so they want to be able to say, well, okay, I have all these options I can go to. I, I, I just need all my options open. Oh. We see inquiries and visits trending back to where they were pre-pandemic. Um, so you see here, fewer students say they not they, they didn't fill out any inquiry forms. 
So they're showing that interest, they're raising their hand and saying, I want to hear from the college. Uh, and we're seeing an increase in students saying that they're filling out five or more inquiry forms on college websites. So they're going there, they're raising their hand, they're saying, you know, I, I'm really interested, I want to hear from you. Uh, and then on the visit side too, we know how important visits are. We saw a decrease in students not visiting any campus prior to enrolling. Um, so that's that's nice that, you know, they're actually getting on campus. Uh, we're seeing that rise in students who are visiting five or more colleges. They're able to weigh their options. They're not just going to one place and saying, yep, this is good. Uh, they're able to compare that way. And I think there's benefits. There's also, of course, then you have a lot more data and the students can be a little paralyzed by options. But that that's a very good sign in my book. The problem we're seeing, though, is this clogged middle of the funnel where we saw, you know, before the pandemic, when we took that four-year average, the data stayed very consistent year to year. Uh, the median number of colleges that students applied to was four. This year, it was seven. Big growth there, and that's the median. So we had a lot on the top end. Overall, there was an 18% growth in students saying they applied to five or more colleges and a 56% growth in students saying they applied to 10 or more. On the acceptance side then, this is growing even faster, 32% uh, growth in five or more admits and a 200% increase in those who were accepted to 10 or more colleges. So there's a lot of students who are there who could be yielding, and yet we know they can't go to more than one college. So this is going to really hurt your yield. It's going to hurt that forecasting, and we just need to be prepared for that. So what it means, don't be misled by the application and acceptance pacing. If you see that you're pacing way ahead, great, celebrate that moment, but don't also assume that that's going to mean way more enrollments. Uh, so these high-intent students who are coming in, they're applying, they're completing quickly, they're telling you they're interested, really jump on them, make sure you don't lose them. Uh, I know there's a lot of students to work with, but if there are students who uh, who are out there and get in front of you, they send in that application, and then you never hear from them, they don't complete, you know, that's a very soft application. I don't know that that needs to be where you're spending a ton of time because we need to get in front of the students who say, yes, I'm very interested. Uh, and then, of course, building your affinity, really focusing on yield. How do we help mitigate uh, some of some of these things where we're seeing more and more students uh, being accepted? You know, how are we building that affinity? How are we making sure they choose our college? How are we focused on our yield tactics, our yield events? What are we doing? All right, second item here to reflect on is whether or not your processes are actually opening doors and guiding students through to enrollment or whether they might actually be shut and locked to students. I think processes are something that's easy to just say, okay, we're updating our materials, we're updating our website, uh, we're doing our counselor training and forgetting to take that hard reflective look at the actual processes and forms themselves. 92% of students this year said that they face challenges in the application process which is up from 88% last year and higher than any of the prior seven years. And there wasn't a single overwhelming challenge either. It's, it's a lot of different things coming together. Uh, when we look at the challenges specific to the application process, that's where the bulk of them were. Writing essays, number one. Uh, application fees, standardized testing, you know, application deadlines being too early. They don't feel like they have enough time to really make decisions and, and consider all their options. So they just have to submit and submit and submit. Uh, applications being too long. When I've looked at applications, it's amazing how often you see questions that you wonder, is this really something that's needed right now to make an admissions decision? 
Or is this something being collected for further down the road that could instead be collected through a counselor conversation, through a supplemental form? Um, you know, just because you have that time and that window to ask it on a form doesn't mean it's the right right time and place to do that. Uh, big one here, 57% of students reported they did not apply to a college that they wanted to attend because of the application, because of issues with it, because of barriers in it. So the majority of students said, hey, that's a college I could really see myself at. I would like to, to see myself as a student there. I want to enroll. And yet the application was so egregious they opted not to. It, came, it went off their list. 27% of them was because the application fees were too expensive. Uh, and we saw a difference there for traditionally underserved students. Now, it was basically identical across underrepresented minority students, uh, first generation, low incomes. All of them more likely to say that the application fee was a barrier. 23% of students said it was because the application was just too long. It was taking too long to fill in all these forms. They don't understand why you're asking these things, why you need them right now. And so they just abandon it and move on. They've got a lot going on. Another 23% because there were just too many additional requirements. Things had to be submitted. Uh, that just They didn't want to have to collect these. It was a barrier to collect them. It was even higher for traditionally underserved students as well. 14% abandoned because it was just too confusing. They didn't know what was being asked. They didn't know what they should they should fill in, what they should submit. And again, here we see 18% for traditionally underserved students. It was higher there as well. So overall, what does it mean to have all these barriers in the process? You have to review all of your processes, all of your forms. Are they, seating was, are they suiting what is needed at this stage? Or are you collecting information you need later? And this can be at your inquiry form where you're looking at it and saying, you know, do we really need more than, you know, the student's email, address, start term, what major they're interested in, and then we can collect the rest of that later? Or do we really need the 30 field inquiry form? Do we need these enormous applications? You know, go through your own application, say, well, that field, is that used to make an admissions decision? If not, then have that hard conversation of, is there an easier way we can do this later on? Do we need this right now or can we make it easier? Can we get students over that barrier? Uh, I know that people argue with application fees while there's fee waivers. That still requires students to self-identify and say, hey, I can't afford this fee. And that's where I think there's the hesitation. There's the anxiety. Uh, we see the number one thing that students are afraid of and concerned about is being able to afford college. And raising their hand and saying this is a concern early on, I think we hear from students that they don't know if that hurts their admissions chances. They don't know how that's going to be viewed. There's a little bit of anxiety around saying, hey, my family's low income. So application fee, while it's nice, it only serves those who feel comfortable raising their hand. For the third reflection here, I want to talk about who else is involved in the decision-making process. These students don't fly solo, right? There's a lot of people involved in this process. Really, influencers are multiplying your reach. They're there to help provide your perspective and really say your name and advocate for you when you're not there, right? So recruiting students, recruiting individual students might get you an enrollment, uh, but recruiting these advocates, these influencers, um, that's going to help you get hundreds of students, right? You you are multiplying your own reach. And really, I, I want to hit on a couple things here. Influencers, I think, fall into two buckets. 
there are the advocates and there are the resources. So the advocates, they're the ones that are supporting the student. They provide guidance. They provide advice. They have that one-on-one -on -one connection. They have that vested interest in the student's success. They can really work with them, uh, you know, in a much more advisory capacity. And then there's the resources. So the people and things that are providing insights. It's not necessarily a dialogue, but it's things like a forum or something like that, where a student can go and research, then get advice, but they're not going to get that two-way communication. Um, and the resources may not know the student well or at all. So when we look at these, uh, you know, number one there in terms of influencers is their family. Absolutely falls into the advocate bucket. The family is there to help with the student. Current students out of college are a big influencer. Whether it's people they know or don't, if they can find them, if they can see what the experience is like through their eyes, uh, that's a great resource. Not necessarily that advocate there. Online reviews being the same. Online reviews past trends this year in terms of, uh, you know, how effective they are at influencing a student decision. Uh, the online reviews resource, of course, their friends, I think, could be a little of both. They're going to be able to share their own experiences, but it's not really that counseling advisory uh, role there. Uh, faculty at colleges, again, can really be one or the other. If they have that connection with the student, great. They're going to be able to, to speak to them, help guide them through the process. Uh, admission staff, school counselors, absolutely advocates. They want the students to succeed. They're helping them out there. Alumni, I think, falls into either bucket as well, depending on what that relationship is exactly. But a lot of people are influencing the decision here, we see. One thing I want to hit on here, though, for the class of 2020, that was the last one that had a mostly normal cycle throughout. Uh, we know the very end of their decision making was disrupted. Uh, but their search process was not. 73% uh, of them said they had support from a school or college counselor. And 49% said their parents were helping guide them uh, through the process. Well, let's fast forward three years here. Now, 60% said they had support from a school or college counselor, and 61% had uh, support from parents. The parents have passed the school resources now. Um, that's great that we're seeing that increase from parents. Uh, but concerning uh, when we see the drop in school and college counselors. We now have fewer students with access and support from their counselors than even 2020 and 2021. Uh, I really think this is an investment and resource issue. So school counselors are already spread thin. If, if you're a counselor on the call here, you know that. Uh, we need more of them. We need them to be able to focus on supporting students. You know, high schools need high quality, quality college counselors uh, not just the well-off districts, but all schools should have this type of support. And I would love to see a world where that's funded at the state or federal level so every school has that resource. That's a pie-in-the-sky idea, I know, but we're seeing this declining ability to access them uh, when students really need the support. So what can you do now? Absolutely, number one, support school counselors. You know, whether that's finding out what they need uh, to help provide resources for them, help take things off their plate. You know, if you're putting it on counselors to do the research and learn about your institution, that's asking a lot of people who are already spread thin. So how can you help them better keep up on what's required, how you're making admissions decisions, new programs, things like that. Uh, having campaigns set up to influence your influencers. You know, how are you speaking to and providing resources to 
CBOs, counselors, parents, alumni, to make sure they can speak for you. Uh, and then ultimately cultivating and supporting these advocates. How are you finding them? How are you making sure that they have what they need? Um, you know, that's there should be someone in the office. Maybe not that's their only role, but someone in the office who really owns that process. I would love to hear from schools who are doing that. Okay, the next one here. The idea I keep hearing that students just don't read their email. They don't care about marketing. It, it's outright debunked. So we can just stop saying it. Let's set that aside. Students are interested. They do care about what you have, but you need to give them something that's worth caring about. You need to give them a reason to read the email, to respond to the email, to call you back. Uh, it's not just a, well, I called them, they should call me back. Or I send them an email, they should read it and respond. Look at what the email actually is first. Um, so we looked at the influence of marketing channels, not just did you receive these? Is this important to you? But did this influence your decision uh, of students who have received these? And that's a, a different question in there. But of students who have received them, email was the most influential. Uh, the majority of students received all of these with the exception of private communities received or used, I should say, private communities, video chats, VR experiences and DMs on social media. Uh, as well as chatbots. Chatbots are interesting. They're, they're the least used and the least influential. Um, when we asked this of the juniors back in the spring, uh, we framed it a little differently and asked, when you when you have a chatbot, is that something that you're excited to use? Is that something that's very helpful? Is it something you'll use if you have to and you can't find the information elsewhere? Or are you just never going to use it? And overwhelming response was either, I don't want to use this or I will use it if I cannot find the information any other way. So the way they're being set up and used right now, I think that that leaves a lot of room for improvement because students just are not excited about using it. Let's look at three tiers of these influence. That top tier positive, so more than two thirds of students said that influenced their decision. Number one, email. That's the most preferred and the most influential. That's going to be your great one. A nice thing there is that it's very, very easy to segment and provide highly relevant information, but don't overuse it either. You know, if you're sending multiple emails a week just because you can, that's that's not really going to be speaking well to the student. Uh, that's something that's getting too much out there. They're going, it's just going to become noise. So use it sparingly. Use it to high impact. Uh, letters. So think about personalized, handwritten. Not just, well, we're going to print these in bulk. We're going to hire this vendor to do the same thing they do for everyone in a template. That's not high quality, high impact letters. Um, it needs to be more than just taking an email and printing it with paragraphs of text. Make use of it to really speak to the student. Uh, and then social media. This is focusing on earned influence, not just your own. So you own your institutional channels. Maybe not you and your office, but your institution owns the conversation. But make sure that you're aware of what else is going on. Make sure that you have people who are out there advocating for you, sharing their own experiences. Really highlight that. Um, I want to differentiate this then from DMing students on social media. That was at the opposite end of the influence spectrum. Uh, when we look at the top social media platforms, overall 38% of students said they didn't use social media in their search in any way. And we they had the options of going through your um, going to your institutional channels, um, going to your student channels and really getting an idea of the student experience that way, uh, or just using social media for college search 
but not really looking at it in terms of an institution. So they're looking for tips. They're looking for advice. They're looking for, uh, you know, a, a ear to, to voice their concerns, things like that. Overall, the most used for college search was Reddit at 58%, uh, then Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Discord. And when we look at university-owned, of course, you can't really have a good university-owned Reddit, so we didn't even bother asking on that one. Uh, but 42% Instagram, and then it drops way off with 22% on YouTube, 17% on TikTok. Every other platform, less than 20% of students used for their college search. So when this question comes up all the time uh, of, you know, where should we be? Where do we have to be? I would say the only place that you as an institution has to be is Instagram. You know, other areas of campus, really helpful to have YouTube. For admissions, I think it's good to be able to contribute to your institutional YouTube. But in general, I'm going to say this for every channel out there, I really do not think you need an admissions social channel. Contribute to the institutional voice, put your content out there, but don't don't try to have one con one channel, uh, one profile of just your content. Um, that that's just it's never all that engaging, and you're missing out on other conversations. For our second tier, so that half to two thirds. Uh, of students saying they were influenced by it. Swag, you know, you have to make it memorable. You have to make it stand out. Uh, the great thing there is it pulls double duty. You know, you're building connections with the student, but you're also serving as a marketing channel. Uh, so shirts, of course, are great. They wear that in their school. They see the name. Uh, I've seen interesting things like Frisbees. I mean, the laptop stickers, things like that. Uh, really collaborate with whoever your agency is or your, your uh, supplier for swag is, and they can help you say, well, a lot of schools are doing this. So maybe you want to look at this other idea that's not just going to look the same as everyone else's. Uh, view books are great because they can be high quality, engaging. It's a great way to use storytelling in a very tactile way. Um, you know, you're not just staring at a screen, it's static. So it has to be really well designed to be eye catching and engaging. Um, but I also don't think it's something that needs to be sent out to everybody, right? You don't need to send every prospect a view book. That's a lot of money. Uh, and then private groups and communities. Only half of students said that they used it, and only half of them said that uh, it was influential. So only a quarter of all students. Uh, but it can be nice that it can build a community in advance. So when you're bringing students in, that can be a way to help them connect. And not everyone's going to want to partake, and that's okay. But the students who are there can really connect with each other that way. The third bucket, uh, the ones I'd say use sparingly, use if the student requests it as a preferred channel because most of the students said they weren't influenced by it so postcards there's a lot of bad postcards out there uh the postcard cannot just be you know send them a postcard that says visit today or apply today things like that it's it's i get it postcards are cheap they can be easy but they're not adding a lot of value either phone calls video chats vr experiences text messages dms on social and chat bots all low impact things. When we ask students to talk about the emails they've described, uh, any guesses here what the most common words when we went through and did a, a analysis of the words that they were using to describe the emails from colleges? Any ideas want to throw in the chat what you think the most common word was? Long? Yep. Overwhelming. I would agree with that as well. Yep. Boring, repetitive. 
Well, we, we did have a, a correct answer in there. The most common word, spam. Uh, it's a lot of the same things from everybody. It's not speaking to the student. It's not providing value. It's all, <laughs> yep. And and I wish I had a can of spam to send you there, but uh, this is, there's a lot of room for improvement. And so I want to go through what that looks here. Um, a lot of cookie cutter things in emails. Uh, I've done a lot of looking at emails and it's amazing how often if you block out the college names, uh, you know, you don't really see any difference between them. Uh, things like come to our preview day. We have personal attention, outstanding faculty who care about you, affordable excellence, your career ready. Everybody says these things, right? Instead, be relevant. So when you're looking for these, uh, instead of talking about your preview day and these big group events, look at smaller events. They're going to be grouped by majors, programs, affinities. How can you really speak to a much smaller audience, but in a more relevant way? Uh, when you're highlighting the student-faculty collaborations, talk about your support resources. Don't just say we have personal attention. Don't just say you have great faculty. Show it. Uh, approach the cost and financial aid early. You know That's a big concern for students is affordability, cost, pricing. So get to it early. You know, don't wait until they have the financial aid package and then tout outcomes by program. So talk about what matters most to the student. If I say I'm career ready, does that mean the same thing for an education major as it does for a sociology major? What does that look like? All right. I think every piece of enrollment marketing, I think there's two requirements here. It has to provide value to the student and it has to tell them why they should care. And I've emphasized these words very intentionally. That value piece, if you're writing an email, if you're sending a print piece with a CTA in it, and what you're doing is all focused on action you want them to take, it's all focused on your own internal uh, performance indications, whatever you want to call them, that's not really providing value to the student. If a student is an applicant who hasn't completed yet, you need to speak to what they need and why they should be excited why they should care about completing it, how you're going to support them, what their next steps are. It's helping them. You know, how do you make a decision? Things like that. Tell them why they should care. You know, there's a lot of, we're great. You should love us. Uh, this is where it's really interesting because this why they should care comes in and that there's not a lot of things getting students excited about taking the next step, whether that's visiting, applying, uh, depositing, it's just a lot of, you know, facts. You're just throwing facts at them, you know, instead really focusing on what matters most to the students and tell them why it's an exciting next step. When these requirements all come together, uh, when I say that you have to provide, you know, I, I think this is something that I always frame as having the right message on the right channel at the right time. And so what does this look like? Well, the right message, you're addressing their concerns and fears before they have to ask before they have to uh, raise their hand. Uh, you know, you have to hype up what the student cares most about. What are they excited about? You have to understand this is a big transition, whether it is a student coming straight from high school. You know, there's a big transition moving away from home. If they're a re-enrolling student, there's anxiety there of something happened the first time. If they're a transfer student, there's that anxiety of, you know, will my credits come in? How do I do that? You have to care about that transition. Uh, and overall, it doesn't really matter what you want the student to do. Your, your communications have to provide value to the recipient.
uh, the right channel, you have to learn their preferences. So if a student prefers text messaging, go to that. I know that then you can say, hey, you know, um, text the student and say, well, we have this this piece coming out. Uh, we have to send it by email. Uh, so be sure to check that. Or if the student prefers email and you know you have to do a financial aid conversation by phone, say, hey, look, we're going to be calling you soon. Uh, does this time work for you? Really lean into what their preferences are. Provide the information where they need it and understand the strengths and limitations of that channel. So being able to speak differently and provide the information differently in a text than you will email. Uh, I don't know anyone who loves four paragraph texts. Uh, you know, really short and punchy. Let's get right to it. And then the right time. Uh, you've probably, if you've been on a webinar before, heard me say, don't propose on the first date. You know, if you have a prospect, don't tell them to apply right away. Tell them why they should be a carrier about you, why you should earn their interest, who you are, and how you can help them. Uh, jumping straight to that next step. Or a student who's accepted, jumping straight to, well, here's how you deposit. You have to nurture them. You have to build a relationship. Uh, all of these communications need to speak to where the student is, what stage they are, uh, and then what action they need to take yet and what actions they have taken. Uh, you have to provide the information where it is most actionable. So, you know, if you're telling them that they need to go on this uh, this platform and do this and that, uh, you know, sending that as a text message and the website isn't mobile friendly, that's a mess. So instead, think about where you're going to do that. And why does this all matter? Well, 88% of students said that personalized and relevant outreach from a college made them feel more valued. Not just made them more interested in the college, it made them feel more valued by that college. And yet, only 36% said they received relevant outreach. So there's a big miss here. So what can you do now? Uh, you know, provide relevance start and start segmenting little by little. I know it's daunting when you have, you know, how do we speak to every major how do we speak to every interest you know little by little start building out and testing build out and test uh, it's an ongoing thing it's now a once a year process uh, don't train students to ignore you by sending bad emails bad text messages sending way too much of things uh, really prioritize your efforts so look at well okay we've got this group who we know is high yield and those students are showing a lot of interest and we've got these other students who haven't responded to everything you know, where should you spend your time? Should you spend time trying to get this group to actually respond to you? Or should you spend your time on the other group who's already saying they're interested? Don't take them for granted. And then as you review your comp flows, this is a great thing to have staff do. You know, hey, we want these new staff members to take a look at these. Uh, I want you to review them for these few things. Ask, is it valuable to the reader? Is the call to action for them or is it for us? Is this the right channel for this to be on? Is this the right time to send it? All right. There's a lot in the survey that I want to dig deeper in, but I, I tried to limit myself to five here. As this last reflection, I really want to emphasize here uh, that it's all about community. What is your campus community? And, and if we're being honest with ourselves and not aspirational, how is it being shown to students? How is it being articulated? Uh, I love this quote uh, from Gary Portnoy and Judy Hart Angelo. If anyone remembers where this came from, feel free to drop it in the chat. You know, they say making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. And sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. Uh, this really emphasizes to me, students want that community. People in general want a community. You want to feel like you belong. 
Uh, yep, there we go. We got from Cheers. Um, this is something that I think really is is important and yet gets forgotten a lot. Uh, if anyone was just at NACAT conference last week, that is a massive community. You know, you have all these special interest groups too, but you can find your people there. And students want to find that too, especially if this big transition, going away from home, away from friends, things like that. It's daunting. When we ask students what they want in a campus community, number one, first and foremost, they want a diverse student body. They want diversity. They want to be able to experience other things. Uh, another interesting one there, arts and cultural opportunities. They want a campus that emphasizes those. Uh, we saw really starting in the pandemic, there was a flip where athletics was very important from a fan and participant. And during the pandemic that shifted and it keeps growing. Uh, more and more students want a campus that emphasizes the arts, emphasizes cultural opportunities, not necessarily they want to participate in the band, the choir, fine performing arts, things like that, but they want a place that values that they can experience it. Uh, intercultural DEI services, very important to students. Um, they want student body who is interested in engaging, uh, on social issues. Um, politically active student bodies are important as well. Uh, the interesting thing here to me, as many students said that LGBTQ services are a must have, as said that they want a campus, well, more students really, as said that they want a campus that emphasizes athletics as a must have. Um, and again, this year we see that Greek life uh, was the only detractor where more students said they didn't want it than said that they did want it. One that I wanted to pull out here, and if you notice, there was one I skipped over there for a reason. Uh, there's this rising interest in religious life opportunities. So this is great news if you're a religiously affiliated campus, but not everyone is, and you don't have to be because anyone can offer these opportunities to students. 7% uh, of students said they found religious life on campus important before the uh, before the pandemic. But now, post-pandemic, here we are in 2023, post-pandemic, whatever that means, 36% of students said they want religious life. That's a huge increase. That was the biggest increase that we've seen across any of these factors. Uh, so being able to speak to students of how they can grow in these ways uh, is something that's appealing to them. Uh, and speaking of community, finding your place, there's there's a couple groups here I want to really emphasize. 74% of African-American students reported considering an HBCU during their search this past year. That's up from 63% for the class of 2022. So we're seeing that raising interest. Uh, in another month or so, we'll be re releasing the results from this current senior class in our fall survey. Um, and you'll be able to see what that looks like there too. When we look at Hispanic or Latinx students, 58% considered an HSI. I think part of that is just there's less awareness of what an HSI is, uh, who they are. Uh, there's much more of an identity around HBCUs. Um, so it may be if you're on the counseling side or if you work in H, uh, HSI, really talk about what that means, who you are. Uh, that's something that can really support students. Overall, what does all this mean? Well, students want and need connections to their community. Show that early. Don't just say uh, that we, we have these things. Really show it. Uh, how do you, when students are on campus, how do they feel these things as well? Uh, because it helps build affinity. It helps build stickiness. I've talked about that before where you need more contacts. You need more things to attach to because if you're only coming to a campus for one program, 
or one opportunity and that goes away or your interest train the student's interest change how likely are they to stick around right you know i think another one here that uh, I'll, I'll keep standing on a soapbox for diversity should be a focus and not just in lip service and hiring and recruiting, but most importantly, in retaining, supporting, graduating. Uh, you know, if you want to be able to tell students that you're a diverse place, don't just show it in pictures. It needs to be visible on campus, it needs to be visible in your graduation results. It needs to be visible in faculty and staff. Um, otherwise, just don't say it because students will really see it and they're going to see that disconnect. Okay. We had a few questions get submitted in advance. Uh, if anyone has to jump early here, uh, yes, this is being recorded. Uh, you'll have all this available tomorrow, uh, along with the slides, everything else there. Uh, I saw a few of those come in, both in the questions and the chats. Uh, so, yep, you'll get the recording, you'll get the slides, uh, and you can also feel free to reach out to me with any questions as well. Uh, so what were the questions we got in advance? This first one up, just want to say thanks to Jill here. Uh, what's the student behavior like in institutional website engagement? Uh, you know, the website is one of the most often cited pain points for students when we ask them. Uh, it is important in their search. Uh, on the front end, when we talk to juniors, uh, it's one of the important things uh, that students use in finding colleges they didn't know enough about. What helped convince them to apply? Well, they're looking at the website, they're doing all this. And yet, it's also one of the biggest pain points. So I wanted to pull out two quotes here, uh, you know, from students that I think really emphasize this. Uh, when we ask them what can colleges do to make the uh, the experience less stressful and easier for them, uh, this first one, make their websites more user-friendly, do more text and phone calls, and don't require us to use apps to talk to you or get a roommate. They want ease. They want something to be simple. They want to be able to find what they look for. I think right here, the second one here, uh, I, I I can really feel this one. They can make the websites easier to navigate. You know, some websites take 10 different links just to find out the tuition for the year. Uh, you know, ask someone who's not familiar with your website structure how to do certain tasks. So you do these, um, these great things where you have some user testing, have parents, have students, have people who are staff and maybe not familiar with the website structure. Ask them to do things like, can you find our tuition for the 2023-2024 year? And then watch how long it takes them, where they get confused. Uh, if you have um, website recording software uh, built into your site, look at those recordings and see what paths are they taking to get there, how hard was it for them, things like that. So websites, very important. Um, struggle with engagement some. Okay. Had several versions of this question from Melissa, Dan, and Hector. Uh, what curious about what students' communication preferences are and how they feel about phone calls specifically. Uh, well, let's dive into that. So looking at, at two sets here, we ask in, in one survey, um, do you want this communication? Uh, email, 99% of students want email. Mail, 97%. And then we see a drop-off. 84%, they're cool with you texting. Two-thirds, they're okay with a phone call. Uh, just over half are okay with a video chat. 61% are okay if you DM them on social media. But then let's layer on top of that. Did it influence their decision? 67% said email did influence their decision. Uh, depending on the type of, e of mail, so anywhere from 33% with postcards up to 60% with personalized letters. Um, and then 
huge drop off there. Text messages, 29%. Phone calls, 27%. Video chats, 21%. And while they're okay with being DM'd on social media, only 14% said they were influenced by it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't go doing that unless a student says, hey, that's the best way to reach me. All right. This question always comes in. So thank you, John. What are the latest trends and results for using social media? Well, let's take a look at it. I, I'm going to assume that this question is really stemming from a place of the institutional uh, accounts, right? Um, when we look at the institutional accounts, there's actually a whole um, a whole article that I did just on social media because there are always so many questions around it. Uh, I'll share that in the follow-up as well. But looking at just institutional platforms, overall usage fell almost across the board. LinkedIn was an outlier there. But we also saw a rise in students saying they aren't using any platform to go view institutional accounts. They're, that's not really what they're using it for. Um, Instagram still the only place you have to be. That's that's the number one. You have photo, you have video, great resources there. Um, you know, I know TikTok's the shiny object, but less than 20% of students are saying that they are going to institutional TikToks. You know, that's not what they use it for. Just because they are there doesn't mean that's what they're using it for. Uh, all right. Those were all the submitted questions. We had several others come for come through here. Um, uh, yeah. And if you want to see the full survey results, you can use the QR code or the link there. Feel free to reach out to me as well. I'm happy to chat if there's anything that you want very specific questions answered. Uh, in terms of the questions here, uh, what are some examples of questions you think are asked too early or in the application that could be asked later down the road? Thank you, Laura. Uh, it would depend a little on the application itself. So I would go through and say, what do we need to make an admissions decision? So you need GPA, classes taken. It's helpful to have some context about challenges, things like that. Um, questions I would say are not needed at this stage would be things like um, parent name, contact information, uh, parents' jobs, parents' education level, unless you are using that as context during making decisions. Um, you know, I don't, that's something you can ask in a follow-up in terms of, Hey, would you like to have your parents looped in on communications from us? Please fill out this form for it. Um, that would be definitely one. Um, I think a lot of, I mean, we saw essays as a major pain point and I think a lot of essays just thinking back, maybe they've changed a lot since I was last reading essays. Um, they very rarely offer a lot of value. Uh, when you ask a student about uh, their biggest challenge or hardship, uh, how many essays do you hear about? Well, our our soccer team lost in sectional. Our, our football team had a losing record my senior year and we thought we were going to win state. You, you know, how much does that really add to the story of the student? Um, that's maybe not the most popular opinion, but I think essays overall could be eliminated. Now, if you need writing samples, things like that to place a student uh, into an English class, you know, okay, let's, let's look at how we might do that. Uh, and is an essay during the application, the best way of doing that? I would say probably not. Uh, it's something that takes a lot of time. Um, I mean, there's a lot of questions about uh, what extracurriculars you did during high school. Now, if you're a, a campus that reviews that and considers that for an admissions decision, great. If you're not, then Okay, let's use that as part to gain the part of getting to know the student. 
but maybe not something we need to ask them to fill in a whole bunch of stuff during the application. So a lot of, lot of caveats there, I know, but everyone's process is slightly different. Uh, did the survey bring forth any insights on travel es- efforts, high school visits, college fairs? Absolutely. Uh, there's actually a section on that. Um, this was actually a follow-up from uh, what we did back in Insta Insights back in February. Um, overall, travel is not that effective for most students. And I I was interested uh, the amount of pushback I got from that survey uh, with people telling me, well, no, that's not true. It, it really helps first-gen low-income students. But when we talked to first-gen low-income students, they were more, no more likely to say that it helped them. In fact, we're less likely to take advantage of it when it was there. Um, so, no, I, overall, college fairs are helpful. Um, but then when we ask students how they use college fairs, uh, it's mostly just to talk to colleges they already know. Uh, when we talk about how they uh, how they use, how they choose which colleges to visit with when the college comes to their high school, a lot of times it was either colleges they were already applied to already were planning to apply to or already knew about and they just wanted to show their interest and and get a few questions answered. It's not really being used as a discovery tool. It's not really being used to um, learn about a college they've never heard of that then they are excited to go apply for. Um, so yeah, I did, did definitely talk about it. Um, it's just not the answer I know people always love, uh, but we need to be rethinking some of that. All right. I had quite a few come through in the chat here, so I'm going to Roll through these. Uh, Mike, yes, uh, we did have high numbers of first-gen minority, underrepresented minority students. Uh, the number of first-gen and low-income were very, very close to sort of a nationally represented sample. When we look at um, national demographics, uh, we're a little high on underrepresented minorities, but we tend to see that niche anyway. So. Um, that was that was kind of ex- expected. Not major shifts from prior years, though. Uh, thank you. I I appreciate all all them helping here. I I appreciate all these kind words. Uh, yes, recording is being sent out. Yes, slides are being sent out. Uh, uh, would love to know how other universities collect comp preferences and how do you stick to those preferences in your mass comp campaigns? Uh, Danielle, I, if anyone else wants to drop it in there, I will say. Uh, just having a field on the inquiry form or as a supplemental after the inquiry asking, uh, you know, how do you prefer we get in touch with you? And having that caveat that, well, some things are just going to have to be an email. Some things are just going to have to be a mail. You know, we're not going to text you your financial aid package, things like that. But then having a field in your CRM, uh, whether it's checkboxes or whatever, of here is their preferred communications um, and then linking that to well, if they prefer emails, then we're going to do more emails. They prefer text. Let's send up a flag for that. Uh, yeah, but anyone else wants to jump in with that? Great. Uh, no one likes spam, but does influence students? E- emails influence students. Spam emails don't. Uh, it's like how everyone says they don't like Nickelback. We'll all jam out to it. Uh, <laughs> I like that analogy. Uh, that, that's very good, Aaron. Uh, yeah, they want email, they want meaningful email, but they keep saying is too much of it is spam. They want, um, how would one student phrase it? I think he said that he wanted more encouraging words and uh, and support and less spam. 
they want the resources, they want the support, they want the insights. They don't want to hear again, hey, you can visit. Hey, you can apply. They know that already. They need to know why they should visit. They need to know why they should apply. And ultimately, why they should care enough to enroll. Uh, let's see. Reddit Reflection makes me think the GameStop saga and the role Reddit played. Fundamental takeaway, ownership of designing the experience in one's destiny. Absolutely, Errol. Uh, students like going to Reddit. They like being able to really look for the information that speaks to them. Uh, they want to see the good. They want to see the bad. Uh, and a lot of it, if you go to our applying to colleges, that's a lot of the just affirming their decisions, uh, you know, assuaging their fears, really providing insights on the things that they're excited about. Uh, but then also, hey, did I make a good choice in this? That's great. Um, how often do you suggest sending email to the app except deposit stages? Um, I think it depends a little. So if someone's applied but not completed, I mean, continuing to nurture them with emails there while also having some personalized emails uh, or texts or whatever their preferred com is to say, you know, we need these things from you yet. And here's the timeline. Uh, maybe after they apply, they get like a secret insider email telling them, you know, here's what we're going to review in your application. Here's how we make our decision. Something like that can help give some insight, pull back the curtain there. Um, so you don't overall, if you're sending more than one email a week though, across any of these, it's way too much. Uh, once they're accepted, once they're deposited, I would say pull back on some of these emails and instead really use your counselors, use your students, use your faculty for more relevant touch points. I know not everyone can do that because of staffing, because of volumes, but triage as much as you can. You know, if a student says they've deposited, they're interested in these things, help connect them with people on campus who can speak to those uh, without just sending another email. Maybe it's a handwritten postcard from a student who was from their area interested in something they were interested in. That can help build that connection. They can see themselves there. Thank you to everybody. It looks like questions are all answered here. You know, if, if there's questions pop up, something to think of later, feel free to respond to my email here. Share these out with friends. If you have questions come up from that, uh, always happy to chat. So thank you all today and have a great one.